welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. We are in an era of climate change. We don't know when we need to access that groundwater for living purposes. We need to be turning our full attention to how we are going to mitigate the potential environmental disaster that these types of fights cause. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past, present and becoming, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we look at coal and coal-fired power stations. We hear from Bronya Lipsky, Environmental Justice Australia lawyer and author of recent report, Unearthing Australia's Toxic Coal Ash Legacy, about the coal ash waste dumps that come with generating coal-fired power and their impact on the community and environment. In the second part of the program, we speak with Amy from Frontline Action on Coal for a report from the blockade camp against Adani's proposed Carmichael coal mine on Wangan and Jagalingu land in the north of the Galilee Basin in central Queensland. First, let's focus on coal ash dumps. My name is Bronya Lipsky and I'm a lawyer at Environmental Justice Australia. Thanks, Bronya. For our listeners who might not be familiar, could you explain what coal ash is and how it's currently managed in Australia? So when people think about coal-fired power stations, we usually think of climate change or we think of toxic air emissions that contribute to death and disease. But what most people don't think about is what happens to the coal once it has been burned. And so coal ash is the the post-combustion product of the coal combustion process. And there's three different streams on it, depending on, you know, which part of the power station you're in. But generally what happens in Australia is the ash is mixed with a wastewater and then pumped to huge dump sites quite near the power station where it's left to, to sit and in some cases around Australia, leach into groundwater and into surface water. And there have been occasions where coal ash has blown over communities and choked them for days on end. Mm. So that, I believe, is called the wet disposal method um, of dealing with coal ash. So let's talk a bit more about what those dumps are and how they work. I understand a lot of them were built um, in the sort of the, around the mid 20th century. I mean, what are what are some of the um, the main issues with these kinds of ash dumps? Yeah, sure. So a lot of them were built when power stations were a lot older. In some cases, the ash dump sites were built, or the current ash dump sites were built on top of former ash dump sites. So in the case of the Araring power station, owned by Origin on the New South Wales Central Coast. That ash dump is built on top of the former Wanji power station ash dump site. And so it's, it becomes this, this tiered level of, of toxic material that has never, in, in a lot of cases, been constructed in such a way to protect the surrounding environment and, and surrounding communities. So we see something quite similar in, at the Yalorn power station site where the current ash dumps were built on top of a former ash dump. Um, in, in some cases, there were already there was already evidence of, of groundwater contamination, and yet there's not been a requirement that these sites were rehabilitated and recited in order to protect the surrounding environment. Is it possible to rehabilitate coal ash dumps? Absolutely. One of the things that should be done in Australia and one of the things that our report recommends is that where those ash dump sites are already causing issues 
to the surrounding environment, either by contaminating groundwater or leaching into surface waterways, that, that ash is removed and placed in a really strictly engineered site that is designed with impermeable liners to protect groundwater and the surrounding land so that the former sites can be thoroughly rehabilitated. We'll come to the report in detail in a moment, but I wanted to ask you, what is the current regulatory system for for coal ash disposal? Well, it actually differs in each state or territory where there is a coal-fired power station, and in most states it differs between power stations themselves. And quite often the regulators, there's more than one regulator, so in New South Wales, the, the pollution aspect of coal dumps are overseen by the Environment Protection Authority, but the structural integrity of the site is overseen by the Dam Safety Committee. So essentially there's a lack of consistency at a national level in regards to how these dump sites are managed. So what we're really looking for is the development of best practice guidelines at a national level to ensure that there is consistency in the way that the power station ash dump sites are regulated and managed and the way that they will be rehabilitated in preparation for closure. And in terms of um, real-world examples of where this sort of thing is already an issue, you mentioned groundwater in your lawn. In addition to that, I understand the Myena Bay Sport and Recreation Centre on Lake Macquarie, so that is near the Iraring ash dump. Uh, That has recently closed. Could you tell us more about that? So during the caretaker period in New South Wales at this year's state election, Origin Energy released a report that indicated that in the event of an earthquake, a 5.7 earthquake, the Araring ash dump wall was likely to become compromised and potentially spill over the surrounding community. And right next to that ash dump wall is the Myuna Bay Sports and Recreation Centre that has been used by the Central Coast community since 1944. It's a very loved sports and rec centre that gets a lot of use and is quite internationally renowned. And the New South Wales Sports Department just accepted this report and acted immediately and just without any kind of warning to the community, closed the rec centre down. And the community had firstly no knowledge that this ash dump wall posed any kind of threat to them in the first instance and had absolutely no say in what happens next. My understanding at the moment is that there is an independent inquiry into what happened. But in the meantime, the community still has no idea what's going on. They have no idea how at risk they actually are. And they have no idea if they are going to have to you know, continue to live without this, this sports and rec centre that they love so much. It's a massive issue for trans- par- transparency of information and transparency of regulatory process. Surely if this ash dump wall had the potential to cause such a catastrophe that people should have known well, well, well in advance, like decades before. It should have been picked up by the Dam Safety Committee and it should have been picked up by the EPA and yet it doesn't seem to have happened. It sounds like a tension there between um, public assets and the responsibilities of private industry. Absolutely, because essentially you've had a private entity say to the local community, this is what we're going to do and you don't actually have a say in it. Um, despite the fact that you know the community lives there, the community has just as much right as a stakeholder in 
what goes on in their community, but you have had a private entity dictate to the community what is going to be done. Of course, we want people to be safe, and of course, we want people to be protected from this toxic substance, but it's absolutely outrageous that the community has been kept in the dark and that the private company has been able to dictate what should and shouldn't happen in this community. Women on the line. And the report also mentions um, an instance where a coal ash dump collapsed in Tennessee in the United States, um, as I suppose an example of a, a worst-case scenario around coal ash dumps. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So in Kingston in Tennessee in the United States, there was a, an enormous ash dump um, and the the wall broke of the ash dump and spilled 4.9 million tonnes of this toxic slurry all throughout the surrounding environment. And this was like a tsunami of, of a toxic sludge that completely destroyed property. It completely contaminated waterways in some of the most horrendous ways you've imagined. If you think of you know, all those poor fish dying in, in the Murray-Darling that we've seen in recent times, you know, it was a similar, similar type of instance, but just these poor creatures just choking on this toxic sludge. So it was an absolute horrendous, situation the photos of it are really really disturbing and in response to that the United States EPA developed rules to to start to mitigate this type of disaster from happening again and those rules whilst they you know are quite limited in in the types of dumps that they apply to are the types of things that we should be absolutely looking to bring into Australia to make sure that you know communities like the central coast or and other communities where there is this this toxic threat are really protected from the type of horrendous things that we've seen happen in the United States. Does every coal-fired power station uh, have an ash dump like this or is it very specific or how how many are there? So yes, wherever there's a coal-fired power station, there's coal ash being produced. And it depends on what is allowed to occur by the regulators. So some of them are in these massive pits quite near the power station, but there's quite a few instances where the ash is piped into sections of mines that have been worked out. So we've seen this in some of the power stations in Western Australia and Queensland. The material just gets piped into unused or worked out sections of mines. And in your lawn, for instance, the ash dump is actually inside an, a worked out section of the mine. So it is in a, in a landfill or a pit, but it is inside the mine, which is one of the most dangerous ways to be disposing of this material for the environment. So we have briefly covered the problems around here. Let's move to the recommendations of the report, Unearthing Australia's Toxic Coal Ash Legacy, um, which came out on July the 1st. What are some of the main recommendations that the report makes to try and address this situation? One of the big issues that I had when I was preparing this research for the report was the sheer lack of transparency of information. It was really hard. So the report is, is based on all the publicly available information that I could find. And there was, in some parts of Australia, such as Western Australia and Queensland, there are coal ash management plans that need to be developed by the power stations, but these are not publicly available. Um, and people don't are not aware of the extent to which contamination is occurring and what the regulators have required power station operators to do 
to make sure that these dump sites are no longer posing a risk to either themselves or to their surrounding environment. So one of the best ways to address this is to have a parliamentary inquiry. That process will really open up exactly what is going on, produce a whole lot of evidence and around the extent to which contamination is occurring or could occur in the future and start to make recommendations really strict recommendations around what best practice management and rehabilitation can look like. Another recommendation the report makes is that rehabilitation and closure plans are prepared now. There's not anywhere really in the country where a power station operator is required under a licence to prepare a rehabilitation or closure plan for its ash dumps. And this is a massive issue, and South Australia is a really good example of this. When the Flinders power station closed in 2016, there was no rehabilitation plan or closure plan prepared for the ash dump or for the decommissioning of the power station at all. And so the power station did take some measures to to control the ash in the ash dump, but that went horribly wrong when the mitigation strategies to prevent the ash from blowing over the communities failed and during high winds over the new year period at the end of 2016 a huge amount of coal ash dust was blown over the Port Augusta community and choked the residents there for days. My understanding is that the community actually ran out of asthma medication during the time so it was really serious. The, The EPA in South Australia didn't sign off on a rehabilitation or closure plan for several months after the power station closed. And that is not a way to be regulating and managing ash dump sites when they've closed. So it's really, really important that power station operators are required by our regulators to prepare for closure because they are going to close eventually. And the community needs to be really reassured that the regulators and the power stations are doing the right thing by them to protect their environment and to protect their health. I mean, what would you say the current attitude to engaging with those kinds of requests is on on a government level? Well, usually what what we hear from the regulators is that there are strict regulations in place to ensure that the community is protected or the environment is protected. And the power station's response is, we adhere to our licence obligations and ensure that we have implemented practices you know, to ensure our licence obligations are fulfilled. So they're not really answers in a sense. The deficiency is in the regulatory process itself, which needs to be really scrutinised in order to make sure that communities and the environment are protected. So there are a number of other recommendations in the report around um, groundwater, containment of existing ash dumps, uh, bond payments to protect communities, um, the national guidelines you mentioned earlier. I mean... What is the most important takeaway in this report, in your opinion? I think the most important takeaway is that coal ash dumps are a ticking time bomb legacy contamination issue. They are right next to communities. They are sitting on top of groundwater that we might need to use in the future. We are in an era of climate change. We don't know when we need to access that groundwater for living purposes. We need to be turning our full attention to how we are going to mitigate the potential environmental disaster that these types of sites cause uh, to make sure that we can utilise that groundwater, that future land use planning is not going to be stymied by contaminated sites 
and that everybody is really clear about what's going on and what's being done and that communities are not left to bear the, the environmental injustice of living next to a coal-fired power station. And if listeners would like more information about this or if they're concerned and want to take action, what's the best thing for them to do? So there's a couple of things. One is to go to our website and have a look at our report. We will be sending out some information and to get in contact with your minister so that they can um, to, to rally to the minister to get them to do something about it. And we're holding three community forums depending on where you're located in Australia where you can get a whole lot more information. We're holding a webinar on Tuesday night. That The information for this will be on our website. And we're holding two community forums, one in the Latrobe Valley and one on the New South Wales Central Coast for any listeners who might be in that area. So all that information is on our website and it would be great if, if folks could, could make it and come and say hi and come and learn a little bit more about what's going on with toxic coal ash. That was Bronya Lipsky, Environmental Justice Australia lawyer and author of the recent report Unearthing Australia's Toxic Coal Ash Legacy. For more information about the report and upcoming community events and the webinar scheduled for Tuesday, July 9, you can visit envirojustice.org.au. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We're looking at coal and coal-fired power stations. Next, we head to the blockade camp against Adani's proposed Carmichael coal mine on Wangan and Jagalingu land on the north of the Galilee Basin in central Queensland. I'm Amy. I'm from Frontline Action on Coal. And you're currently at the blockade against Adani's Carmichael mine, is that correct? Yeah, I'm up here in central northern Queensland at the blockade camp that's um, yeah, been here for, for a little bit now. So for listeners who might not be across all of the details, we'll start right at the beginning. I mean, could you explain exactly what Adani's Carmichael mine is and the impact it will have if it goes ahead? The proposed Adani Carmichael coal mine is set to be in the Galilee Basin, which is a part of the Great Artesian Basin, which has a plethora of water resources and a lot of other ecological attributes, which... If the mine does go ahead, it means digging into that ground and into the water and mining all of the coal, which is black coal, um, to then be sent four hours to the coast to by train to then get on ships to then be sent over to India. So none of the coal that will be mined is intended for use of energy in Australia. It's to be exported out of this country. So you mentioned environmental concerns uh, around water and other ecological factors. Could we dive into that a bit more? I know that there's been a lot of discussion, for example, around the groundwater approval plan and also the black-throated finch. Yeah, so essentially just before the election was announced, the then Environment Minister, Melissa Price, approved the groundwater management plans from a federal level Um, and then in the last few weeks there has been both the state groundwater management plans that have been approved as well as the black-throated finch management plans which mean that from the water point of view it means that the state Labor government agrees that um, the plans that Adani has put forward for water management is is great that's what they believe and 
Um, it also means that they can take an unlimited amount of water. And for the black-throated finch, uh, it means that the state Labor government also agrees that any plans that Adani has to protect this endangered species of bird is, um, in their eyes, appropriate, um, which is is definitely a huge issue as Adani's plan to protect that species is just to create this section of land, um, which is not currently where the black-throated finch is used to having as a habitat, and they just, they've just set that aside and said this is going to be the sort of conservation area where they can live their life, which is, in, in my eyes, a complete and utter mistake and will lead to this animal's potential extinction. So in the last few weeks, both that groundwater plan and the black-throated finch plan were approved, um, which were expected um, in some senses, but it's not a good move from an ecological point of view. And what are some of the concerns around groundwater management in terms of the proposed mine? Well, we've got the Dungmabala Springs, which are near the mine, which are going to be negatively affected. They've got water flowing through them, which will most likely stop, given the, the unlimited amount of water that Adani can be taking for the mining practices. Given also that this state of Queensland is in a lot of drought, it's really detrimental. Um, there's farmers in these regions that have already been struggling. And this mine, if if it does go ahead, it's just, it means that the water for these farmers and those communities around there are going to struggle even further. And the natural environments that are currently relying on the groundwater as well are also going to be impacted really negatively. In terms of the approval process, where is the mine approval process at now? So um, you may have heard that ACF currently just won a court case, um, which was in opposition to the federal government's groundwater approval. So that was a really great win. Um, that happened the day before the state groundwater approval went through. So there was a bit of confusion for a while. Um, but essentially, ACF took the government to court and said, you inappropriately um, gave the ticket of approval. That wasn't the right process. Um, and the court agreed. So at the moment, Adani is not allowed to break ground. They can't start box cut mining yet because that court case won and the groundwater approval now needs to be um, re-looked at, which is a really great thing from, for us. Um, so that's one aspect of it, that they can't break ground, but it doesn't mean that there are all the other aspects to building a mine that um, can't go ahead. So there's roads that are being constructed, there's certain areas of land that are being cleared, um, there's the everything with the railway, so there's, even though the actual mining can't begin, um, there is still a lot of other aspects to the mine that, that can and have been um, started. Mm -hmm. So the ACF for our listeners is the Australian Conservation Foundation, and that, that does sound like a really important win for the time being. I, I mean, it does sound, though, like a lot of work is going ahead. What's the current focus of the campaign to stop the mine? So at the moment, we're wanting people to get ready to come up here. We're not officially at the moment announcing a red alert. Um, it's not at the stage where we need people to come immediately, but we are telling people that they can come up now. There's always things to be done, but to get ready, whichever city that you may be in, 
start organizing yourselves and um, your your travel here and um, just be prepared that there will be a call out, whether that be in the next few weeks or so. Um, we can't say for certain, but what we do know is that there are preliminary works being started and it's just a matter of time before we need everybody and the most capacity to, to come here and, and help win this fight. And can you describe the current situation at the blockade? Yeah, so at the moment we've got a few people here um, and as this is a campaigning blockade camp, we're constantly working on like media and communications and um, sorting out from a campaign point of view, point of view how we're going to be going. Um, we work with the Wangan and Jagalingu people, um, so from that point of view, it's a it's a land rights and sovereignty issue, and that's what that's what we are focusing on predominantly. Um, and we're building a support base for them and. Because we're working so close with them, we are looking to see how they want to proceed as well. Um, But specifically at the camp, we're just getting ready for when people do come up um, and are mobilised and we can really start getting people over to the mine site and, um, and, yeah, taking action. How would you describe the current feeling on the ground there following the federal election especially? Yeah, I mean, we've got a really great community here, um, something that this blockade camp really um, does well at is the community care and self-care aspect. So there can be times when we are feeling quite low because of things like the federal election, um, as well as these approvals that are constantly happening. But it's all about just being proactive and knowing that if we all come together with with a mass amount of people, then we really can make change. Um, we, We all know the history of different social movements and we've seen the power that people coming together from all walks of life all for the same issue you can stop things from going ahead you can make a change you just need a large amount of people to show their dissent on that note if listeners do want to support you or get some more information what what's the best thing that they can do so if you go on to frontlineaction.org um, you can sign up to our pledge which means you'll also be receiving um, you'll be on our mailing list, so you'll be able to get updates via that platform. Um, and also by signing the pledge, you're agreeing that when the time comes that you'll be able to come up here. Um, I understand that it is outside of some people's capacity to make the trip to central northern Queensland for numerous reasons. Um, so keeping up to date with us, and if you see that we have asked to bring things up or just telling everyone you know about the importance of of people power. Um, someone may need a lift up there and then you can carpool with people and the more and more people that we get, um, that's that's great. So just sharing it. Um, there's also uh, another group, Friends of the Galilee Basin. They have started a fundraiser, which is to help the activists on the front line of this Adani campaign and specifically and also like the blockade camp um, and their fundraiser you can find if you go on Facebook or on the website of Friends of the Galilee Basin and donating to that would be a really great help as well. Did you have any further thoughts you'd like to add before we wrap up today's interview? Um, just that if anyone has any questions at all, if there's certain logistical elements that they're unsure about are still coming up, um, just think that this, this mine, if it goes ahead, will be 
a huge environmental disaster. And people such as Bob Brown have said that this is bigger than the Franklin Dam. This this mine has the potential to do some disastrous things. So you may think that you are just one person, but one person can do so much, especially when they come in dozens and dozens. So just, yeah, if you've got any questions, feel free to, to email Frontline Action on Coal or message us through Facebook and we can we can help you and support you to come up here. That was Amy from Frontline Action on Coal speaking to us from the blockade camp against Adani's proposed Carmichael coal mine on Wangan and Jagalingu land in central Queensland. To find out more, visit frontlineaction.org. If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need at the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash womenontheline. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time. <laughs>